Rahim, Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala Rasulihil Kareem Amma Ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, before I jump into this, uh, how many of you, if any of you, were at my thing last year? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. All right. Okay. So I'll include some material from that and sort of overlap and, and, and give extra focus on, on angels themselves. But in speaking about the unseen, First, uh, a, few, a few points to help give us uh, perspective. Uh, let's do an exercise. Okay. Uh, I want you to think about how clear for you in your imagination tomorrow morning is. Okay. So if I ask you, think of yourself at, let's say, 11 a.m. I mean, my undergrads probably don't wake up till 2 p.m., but I mean, you guys probably have to wake up earlier. So imagine you tomorrow at 11 a.m. Picture where you will be tomorrow, Thursday, at 11 a.m. and ask yourself how real that is, right? How vivid is that, okay? Now, on the flip side, uh, picture yourself standing before Allah on the Day of Judgment, okay? And ask yourself how vivid is that? Chances are, for most of us, tomorrow morning is really vivid. Day of Judgment, maybe not as much, right? And part of the reason is, is because tomorrow morning, you've already gone through a routine, right? So there's going to be repetition. Uh, and it's not that far away. Day of Judgment, we have ideas of the Day of Judgment. We kind of have descriptions of the Day of Judgment. Uh, but it is kind of ambiguous. But we all believe that it's real. Okay? We all believe that it's definitely happening. Okay? Um, so then go back to the first part of the exercise. Picture yourself at 11 a.m. on Friday. So today is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Is Friday for you as vivid as Thursday? How would you guys answer that? Is it any less vivid or is it the same? That's the same? Okay. All right. Uh, would it be the same for next Tuesday? No or yes? No. Not as vivid. Okay. Anyone else? What do you think? Not as vivid. And part of it is because it's getting distant. Okay. And so if I asked you what would you be doing at 11 a.m. on Thursday, Thanksgiving, then that's probably, you might have a rough idea where you're going to be. Maybe you're going to know what you're doing, but it's going to get more hazy. Now, jump forward 10 years. 2026. Uh, any clue? <coughs> right? And so the goal we want to get to in our development of faith is to, when we imagine the day of judgment, to imagine it not as real as tomorrow, 11 a.m., but as real as the moment we're sitting in right now. And that's, that's a very, very high, high level of faith, as you can imagine. But I'm saying at least if that is too difficult... Then, what if we imagine 10 p.m. tonight? So whatever time it is right now, 7-something, three hours from now, think about how vivid that is or is not for you, but it's still in the future. It's still in the unseen. But it does have the benefit of repetition. It does have the benefit of proximity, because you probably know where you're going to be. And so what we want to be able to do is get to that level where the Day of Judgment is at least that clear for us that vivid. Because if we do put all the, the, the descriptions in our tradition of the Day of Judgment together, 
it does paint a vivid picture. Uh, what any of you imagine when you read these descriptions might be different than what I imagine, but still, it gives us something vivid. Okay. So, <clears throat> so that's one point to think about. And I've actually addressed two different regions in this exercise. One region is the unseen, but the other region is our imagination. Okay. Now, one of the challenges of the era we're in now, more so than previous eras, because of social media, or because of just the fact that I can hold this in my hand and speak to people, uh, is that the world of our imagination often becomes as real or almost as real as the world that's in front of us right now. As virtual reality technology increases, then we might see the point where what we see in the level of imagination by looking at a screen is as real for us as what's in front of us. I have a friend who, who works for Google, and he was talking about this exercise they were doing. I don't know if you've all heard of this exercise. They gave, uh, they gave their, their test subjects these, these virtual reality glasses um, where uh, they're standing at a platform to dive. And so let's say the platform is 10 feet in the air. Okay? And so they're being told, okay, walk forward. Walk all the way to the edge. Now walk back. Okay? And then in this virtual reality setup, they are then transported to the next, dot, next platform above, which is another 10 feet above. Same exercise, walk to the edge. Okay. Look up, you see the next platform, which is, let's say, 20 feet higher, and so go to, they go to that one. And they keep going higher and higher and higher. And then the top platform, which let's say is 100 feet in the air, in virtual reality, they're told walk to the edge and jump. And almost nobody could do it. Right. Even though... The person is just standing in a room like this. And so what I'm suggesting for us to think about is when we are in the realm of imagination, how vivid is that imagination? So let's do a few more exercises. Okay. <clears throat> to prepare those exercises, first we have to use some, some basic things and then get into those things. So uh, first I just want you to take a moment and... Uh, try to focus only on what you can hear in this room. Okay? You can interpret it, uh, but try to focus only on the hearing. Okay? And we'll do that for, let's say, uh, 15 seconds. Okay? So, begin. Okay. <laughs> I'm guessing all of us heard the door open. Yeah. Um, but uh, until the door opened, were you able to, to focus on the sound? Did anyone focus on a specific sound? The what? The buzzing, yeah. Is that, the, is that the, the heater? Is that cars or something? Okay. Let's shift the exercise. Uh, I want you to pick some place in the room and stare at it. Not me, but pick something else in the room, you know, whether it's in the truck or the television, a light. And, and I want you to just stare at it and try to focus on it and not look at anything else for 15 seconds. Okay. Were you able to do it? You're probably wondering, like, what's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the right place? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one is a little bit more difficult. Uh, I want you to focus on smell. Yeah. 
And one of the reasons it's difficult is that in our modern uh, mechanical era, uh, our sense of smell is often less necessary. Everything just smells like a room or something. Uh, but try to focus on what you can smell. Feel free to inhale as many times as you need and just focus on what you can smell. Begin. Okay. Uh, were you able to, uh, to smell something? No. Would you recognize what you could smell? I think so. It smelled like, uh, like uh, moist, moisture in the rug. Interesting. Maybe, like mold or something. Interesting. <laughs> wow, wow. That is kind of what I think of when I think of this building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, this was interesting for me just now because I could smell the chalk. Because uh, most of the classes I've been or the classes that I've been teaching in at least this semester all have whiteboards, and so it's been a while since I've been in a room with chalk. Because uh, that was smell. Uh, what else do we have to do? Okay, touch. Uh, I want you to focus on a part of your body touching your clothes. Don't tell us what part of your body it is, right? But I want you to focus us on the on whatever part it is of your body and feel your clothes and concentrate on that. Okay. Okay, begin. Okay, were you able to do that? Yeah? yeah? Yeah. Able to do it? That was easier than the small one? <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, much more. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's left? Taste. All right. So you may or may not have a taste in your mouth right now. I'm not going to ask you to taste something else. And so try to focus on the taste in your mouth. <laughs> and the challenge here is that you might find yourself focusing on the texture of whatever it is in your mouth. So try to focus on the taste. Okay, begin. Okay, anybody able to do it? Yeah, this is the harder one. You were able to do it? Oh, amazing. Okay, nice much. I ate something with red onion. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, that's also, uh, you can say, a sensation that sort of decreases in our modern urban environment because, you know, the palate range of, of, of food, especially processed food, is way, way, way more narrow than what you might eat in a traditional setting. Okay, now we're going to shift gears. I want you to imagine yourself in a different location. This different location could be real, or it could be like Mordor, whatever it is you want to be, whatever it is you want to do, be. And I just want you to imagine yourself there. You're sitting there, you're standing there, whatever it is. Okay, begin. Okay, stop. Were you able to do it? Hmm? Yeah? yeah? Okay. Now, uh, for how many of you, you don't have to tell us where it is, how, for how many of you was that place indoors? Anyone? You? Okay, the rest of you was outdoors? Anyone have a place that was neither indoors nor outdoors? Okay. Okay, now I want you to switch it. If you were at an indoor place, I want you to pick an outdoor place. Okay. 
And if you're at an outdoor place, I want you to pick an indoor place. Okay? Begin. Okay, stop. Uh, able to do it? Okay. Now, I want you to think which of those two in your imagination was more vivid. Vivid in terms of what you could see, vivid in terms of sound, smell, taste, touch, everything. Okay. Or make one of them more vivid. Okay. And so whichever one that is, I want you to go back into that location and imagine yourself either standing there or walking around, whatever it is, and try to make the environment as vivid as possible. So noisy, smelly, um, textured, and of course is vivid in terms of what you see. Okay, begin. Okay, able to do it? Still? Yeah, yeah. All right, you're in that location now, and I want you to not care about sound or anything else, sound or anything else. focus on something in that location. Just like you focused on something in this room, focus on something in that location. Done. Begin. what I want you to do is to focus on the smell of that location and try to make the smell vivid. Okay? All right. Hopefully you're not like in a sewage dump or anything like that. Right. Okay. Begin. Anybody able to do it? Yeah, interesting, very nice. Okay, couldn't do it? Okay, now I want you to focus on the sound of that place. Try to make it noisy. And just focus on whether it's a particular event or just some ongoing sound. Focus exclusively on the sound. So you're in that location, focus on the sound of that location. Okay, begin. Okay, able to do it? For any of you, did the sound in your location start to drown out the sound that's present here? Yeah? Okay. How about with the smell? That the smell began to override the smell of this location. Right, so, so many of you were able to do it. And part of the point of this exercise is to see how powerful your imagination is. That you can literally override what is apparent as your reality right in front of you. 
So now we have three regions. We have what's really in front of us right now. We have, so that's one reality, the reality of our imagination, and then the reality of the unseen. Okay. And what is, again, the goal? The goal with the Day of Judgment is for me to use all of these faculties to be able to see the Day of Judgment as clearly, if not as this reality is in front of me, because I have the power of my imagination to do so, or at least you know, a couple hours from now, or to start bringing it closer in terms of proximity. Okay. But what makes it difficult? What makes it difficult is the same thing that is one of your fundamental tests of Iman. And one of your fundamental tests of Iman is, imagine if you're Iman, your faith is an arrow. Is it either pointing you towards Allah, or is it pointing you to the world, or is it pointing you to yourself? And some, what many will say that pointing to the world, pointing to yourself is essentially the same thing. So essentially, is it pointing to Allah or not? Okay. And, and so <clears throat> if, if my iman essentially is in the world, and what I mean by that is that, okay, when we speak of iman, we usually think of iman billah, iman with Allah, faith in Allah or security with Allah. Uh, it may be that I actually have more security in the world than I do with Allah. And that's common. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't make you a hypocrite if that's what you have, right? But in the language that we're using, we're basically saying that you, deep down inside, see the world as more real than Allah. In terms of aqidah, in terms of creed, okay, we're all going to say there's no God but God. Muhammad is the messenger of God. Peace be upon him, right? That's without question. But I'm saying when you try to really, really put into practice at a level beyond your fardain, at the level beyond the haram, so your fardain, you know, those things you have to do, haram, things you have to not do, um, at the level beyond that, which we often call the realm of spirituality, okay, uh, the question then becomes, how real is Allah to me? Okay, versus how real is the world to me? Now, this doesn't mean that you make the world imaginary means that you make Allah more real. But as an exercise to make Allah more real in your imagination, you first start with the Day of Judgment. Yeah. Because the Day of Judgment is easier to imagine. Because, I mean, how do you actually imagine Allah Ta'ala? Right? I mean, he is beyond form, he is beyond size, he is beyond uh, so many things. Another technique, <coughs> I, um, so a few more exercises. Uh, I want you to think of someone that you saw today. Could be a friend, could be a classmate, could be somebody walking by. And I want you to imagine yourself standing next to that person. No, standing facing that person. Okay. And you can be talking or just looking at each other, you know, punching each other, whatever it is you want to do, but uh, you're looking at that person. Okay, begin. Able to do it? Okay. Now, I want you to picture someone you haven't seen for quite some time. So it's probably not somebody on this campus, unless you've skipped classes for, for, for eight weeks. Uh, picture someone who you haven't seen for quite some time. Could be a friend, could be a family member, celebrity. Could be in. Okay, 
Able to do it? So far, so good? Okay. Now, I want you to picture someone who has passed away. Okay. It could be someone that you know, or it could be somebody, uh, someone that you know personally, or it could be like a celebrity, you know, all these celebrities that are dying this year. Um, so picture someone who has passed away. And same thing, I want you to imagine you're in their presence. Able to do it? Now do the prophet, peace be upon him. So now imagine that you are standing in the presence of the prophet, peace be upon him. Okay. You might have to wait for a moment. It's okay. Well, it's okay. <laughs> so now you are standing in the presence of the prophet, peace be upon him. Okay, able to do it? Anyone? Was anyone able to do it? It's tough. Was anyone able to do it even for a moment? For a moment? Okay. Um, if you'd like to share, you don't have to share. What aspect of him did you feel like you're in the presence of? Like, did you notice his clothing? Did you notice his face? Did you notice his beard, his hair? What would you say? Hair. Interesting. What color clothes was he wearing? Okay, fascinating. Anyone else? Yes? Smile. Smile. Smile while speaking. Speaking. Speaking um, and smiling. And did you know what he was saying? Okay, okay. Very interesting. Um, first, let's share, if you know any from, from the Shema'il books, the books that get into like those attributes of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, list for us any attributes of the Prophet. Just shout them out. Peace be upon him. Anything. So he's not too tall, not too short. Okay, now sort of like record that in your mind. What was his hair like? So it was neither too, it was neither um, straight nor too curly, somewhere in between. Okay, sometimes went down to his shoulders, sometimes went down to his earlobes. So pick one of those. Uh, what were his eyes like? White. Yeah, like big eyes. What were his eyebrows like? They were thick and they connected, unibrow, right? I mean, that's something that today we often make fun of, but that was part of the beauty of the prophet, peace be upon him. Where his teeth like? Yeah, he had a gap in the front of his teeth. Okay. So try to look at his face now. Okay. And we can add his beard. What was his beard like? You know, sometimes it was like this long, and he had some streaks of gray. In his, in his latter years, maybe a total of about 20 hairs, so it was mostly jet black, but a little bit of, of, of gray. Okay. So try to picture yourself standing now in front of the prophet, peace be upon him. Begin. Okay, anybody able to do it? Or a little bit more than before? Okay, so the prophet, peace be upon him, uh, for us right now is in the realm of the unseen, right? But we have many attributes of him. So let's change it. 
I want you to picture paradise. Okay. Think of the, de the, the, the depictions of paradise that we have in our texts, whether it's people sitting on these luxurious couches while, while boys are walking around them, serving them with these, these goblets of silver and gold, this non-intoxicating wine or this other thing which kind of has a, has a scent of camphor. Or in the lowest level of paradise, your homes are going to be pearls that are about 100 feet high. Right? And your food is already ready for you. So try to picture that. Okay? Picture yourself in paradise. For every time you said subhanAllah, there's a tree that takes a horse a full lifetime to run around, 65 years or so to run around. Yeah, I think it's more like that. Or it'll die if it's running uh, at full speed. So now picture paradise. Begin. Okay, able to do it? Anyone? Anyone able to do it even for a moment or two? A little bit? Um, did you have any feeling while you were there? Like, did it feel good? Or, oh, okay, very nice, much longer. Now let's go to the other place. Okay. Uh, picture yourself, not you yourself being sentenced to hell. A'udhu billah, a'udhu billah, a'udhu billah. Picture yourself observing someone being punished in hell. Okay. And pick a punishment. The punishment that always comes to my mind for whatever reason, hopefully it's not a sign about me, is the person who is consuming other people's property. And so these angels with these axes are bashing into that guy's stomach. Okay. But also imagine what hell smells like. And my suggestion to you is that uh, imagine it smells like sewage. Okay. This is a side point. I knew someone who could smell some of people's sins. Right? I even like tested on him. Don't ask me how. But, uh, um, and he said it, the sins smelled like sewage to him. Okay. So now try to picture yourself there. Maybe you hear people screaming. Begin. Okay. Anybody able to do it? Yeah? Question. Uh, your paradise, was it sunny? What about your hell? It was dark. Uh, yeah, isn't that fascinating? Okay. <coughs> so... All of these exercises trying to help us take control of our imagination, to help us uh, give a different perspective on what seems to be our apparent reality, we're focused on our mind. Now we're going to shift to the heart. Okay. So again, a few more exercises. I don't know if you guys came to hear me talk or if you came to hear me give you exercises, but um, <laughs> this is how it works. All right, so uh, I want you to imagine yourself thirsty. Just imagine that you're thirsty. And if you need to, imagine yourself in the middle of the desert and it's a blazing hot sun. And maybe you're sweating so much you can even feel the sodium going into your eyes. Yeah. Begin. Okay, able to do it? Kind of? Okay, now shift it. Imagine something that you... Uh, would like to have, that you can have, you know, by the time all this ends, meaning like life, meaning this session, right? So maybe it's a drink of water, right? 
maybe it's, you want to see something, somebody. Okay. So imagine what that is as vividly as you can, then imagine your desire for it. Okay, begin. Able to do it? Okay, I want you to imagine the same thing, but don't focus on the destination, focus on your desire. Okay. So let's say I really want to go, I want to go to a water fountain and drink some nice cold water. Uh, I'm not going to think about the water, I'm going to think about my thirst for that water. Okay, okay begin. to do it? You're focusing on the desire, you know, the thirst. Okay. No? Okay. I mean, a lot of these uh, with repeated exercises, uh, uh, it gets easier. Now I want, to, I want you to focus on something that you probably can't have for, let's say, a couple weeks, but you'd like to have. Okay. Picture what that is, something real, something you would like to have that you probably can't have for a couple weeks, or some time, but you'd really like it. Again, it might be to meet somebody particular. Uh, everybody have something? Okay, begin. Okay, able to do it? Now focus again on the desire for it. Is the desire for that greater than your desire for what you were seeking later on this evening? For how many of you it is? For some of you? Okay, yeah. Okay, so now focus on your <laughs> desire for that. Okay, able to do it? Now this next one might be kind of tough. You're not going to share with us what it is. I want you to focus on something you really wish you could have, but you can't. And often that is perhaps someone who has passed away, someone close to you, and you wish you could be reunited with them. Right? Or for a lot of undergrads, uh, a lot of times, I'm saying this seriously, not humorously, um, it might be the validation of your parents. Right? Think of something you really, really wish you could have. You really wish you could have, but you can't, <coughs> at least in this dunya. Okay. And again, you're not going to share it with us, but does everybody have something? Yes? Okay. So uh, you know you're getting to something really, uh, how do I say, uh, something that you really want if your heart really starts feeling you know, kind of trembly. Right? or vulnerable. Okay, begin. Focus on this thing, whatever it is that you really wish you could have. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Able to do it? Was it difficult? 
I don't mean difficult in the ability to do it, but difficult in the fact that this is something you really want. Yeah. Okay, now what I want you to do, same thing, but I want you to focus on that yearning, okay. if you can. So whatever it is, let's say, I really, really wish I could meet my grandfather again. Right. Um, so badly, you know, he passed away decades ago. But now my focus is on my yearning for that. Okay, okay begin. Okay, stop. Able to do it? I'm probably driving you crazy by asking if you're able to do it, but yeah, able to do it? Okay. That feeling of yearning is your ticket to many, many things. So, for example, every time you make dua for anything, even if it's something small like your shoelaces, right, uh, or something big, try to make it with that yearning. Okay. In your prayer, one of the most common issues is, you know, how do I focus on my prayers? When I'm praying, I start thinking about all these other things. Okay. And usually we just try to focus on Allah or the Kaaba or something like that. Focus on your yearning. And try to apply that yearning to your Salah. So when you're in prayer, try to pray with that yearning. Yeah. And you will find the more you're able to do that, the more you're going to automatically concentrate in your prayer because you're focusing on your yearning. Better than that is to see if you can make that yearning a yearning for Allah or a yearning for paradise or a yearning to meet the Prophet, peace be upon him, something along those lines where you're focusing on that yearning. Because every one of us has some things that we really wish we could have. Maybe it's something related to our personal lives. Maybe it's related to our families. Maybe it's related to our careers. Maybe it's related to something else in the future. Every one of us has those. But what happens is that when we get immersed in dunya, because we have all these things that we have to do, compounded by all the information that's coming to us, one of the first things that suffers is our dua. Right? And so what I'm also saying is that when you go to pray, when you go to make your dua, try to give yourself as much relaxation as you can. And then use that yearning for your prayer, use that yearning for your dua. Okay? Now, what else is this a ticket for? This is a ticket to go past the obstacle that is your imagination in trying to connect to the unseen. Because your imagination can help you override reality, but it's also driven by your nafs in the sense it's going to, you know, it's almost like a hose full of water where it's just spraying all over the place. It might work for you for a minute and then it might distract you, what have you. But if you can focus on your yearning, it'll give you direction, it'll give you focus. And so, so now I want you to try to imagine yourself really wanting to meet the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay? So that yearning that you had, that big deep yearning that you had, see if you can direct it toward the Prophet, peace be upon him. And focus on the yearning. Okay, begin. Okay, stop. Success at all? A little bit? So I'm putting some of you to sleep. Okay, so now what I'd like you to do, try to have that yearning 
and imagine one aspect of the prophet, peace be upon him. So think of those aspects that we mentioned. Could be his hair, could be his teeth, could be his eyes, could be his clothes. Often he wore white, sometimes he wore red, right? Sometimes he wore red stripes. Good. Picture one of those things, or picture his sandals, picture his feet, his feet were very thick. Okay. Whatever it is, one aspect of it. With that yearning, and you're imagining him with your, with, with your imagination. See if you can do that. This is a little bit difficult, but try. Begin. Okay, stop. Any success? You have this grin. Did something happen? No, don't Nothing at all? Okay, okay. When I do that exercise, I literally feel like I'm standing right in front of him to the point that he's about to hug me. Right? And I'm saying you can get even more vivid than that. But it takes practice. I've done this quite a few times. Right? Uh, but what have I just given you? The first part of the, all these exercises uh, was just to get the sense that there's three realities. There's the unseen, our imagination, and then this apparent reality in front of us. And then seeing if we get our imagination to override this apparent reality. So we did exercises in that. Uh, but then focusing on the yearning of the heart as a ticket to really do that, to bypass all those things. So all of that that we just did is unit one. Okay. Now unit two. Let's talk about the unseen more in an academic way. When we think of the unseen, because of the default, taking this dunya as a default, uh, the unseen becomes almost secondary. Okay. And that is not necessarily wrong. One of the lessons, if you begin Al-Baqarah, Al-Baqarah begins with Alif Lam Mim, Dhalika Al-Kitabu Al-Rayb, So it begins with Alif Lam Mim, right? These three letters. And one of the lessons that commentators take from these three letters, I mean, the thing that most people say is, okay, nobody knows what they mean, Allah knows what they mean, but what else is taken from this? This idea that there is knowledge beyond our knowledge, right? We don't know what it means, Allah knows what it means, therefore there's knowledge that is beyond my knowledge. But then, if you go two eyes later, they believe in the unseen. There is a world beyond my perception. Same form, knowledge beyond my knowledge, and then there is a world beyond my world, beyond my perception. And you can apply that for all of the six attributes that are listed there of the people of Taqwa. You know, they establish Salah. Looking at it from that form, what is taking place, that you're saying that Salah, that I do these steps in these particular orders following these rules, has a benefit beyond what I can see. And just think about it this way. If you were to list all the steps of Salah, imagine if you did them in reverse order. Okay. I mean, that almost seems kind of strange. Would it have the same benefit? I think all of us would say no. You're supposed to do it in this way. And we have a belief that there's a benefit and effect for me praying my daily prayers and establishing them in effect beyond what I might be able to detect. And likewise for everything else. And we can go through those if you want. But what are we saying here? <clears throat> that at one level, think of this unseen as something that is just beyond the boundaries. Okay? And don't assume that there's one unseen. Okay? There might be many dimensions of unseen. Okay? Now, having said that, what would you say is in the unseen? List them out. Anyone? Angels. Angels are in the unseen. What else? Jin. I usually wait to see how long it is before someone mentions jinns. Okay. What else is in the unseen? Sorry? The future is absolutely unseen. What else? Past. Sorry? The past. The past. History is in the unseen. So Allah Ta'ala is telling the Prophet, peace be upon him, Surah Yusuf, you are not there when this, is ha when this happened. This is in the ghaib. Uh, what else? Seriously? Seriously? 
Allah is in the unseen. Yeah. And I mean, essentially, we, I think we, we've listed it all. That angels are there, jinns are there, and Allah, of course, is there, as well as the future, as well as history. Right? Those are pretty much all the big things that are in the unseen. Yeah, yeah, of course. The day of judgment itself is in the unseen, as well as heaven and hell. Um, and there might also be other beings. Just because we believe, or the Quran mentions three types of beings, angels, humans, jinns, doesn't mean that's all there are. <laughs> there might be many, many, many different beings. There might be many different types of jinns. There's definitely many types of angels. Right? So the next point to think about, uh, when we think of the unseen as this world beyond what we have in our perception, whether you want to say it's beyond the universe, beyond the multiverse, whatever, whatever we have, um, uh, think that there are not only, it's not limited to one, but think of it as very, very big, wide, and diverse. And it might be very full. So imagine the way you think of a forest uh, with trees and animals and everything. Imagine the unseen might be that full. Because I think often when we imagine the unseen, we imagine it to be very, very empty. Right. It's just there. It's just the unseen. But because it is a realm beyond, your access to it may not only be physical. Because even the way paradise is described, we have very vivid descriptions of paradise. But then we're also told it's beyond anything you can imagine. Right? And imagine if all 7 billion people in the world got together to imagine paradise. It's going to be beyond that too. Right? But it also means that the laws of physics don't apply the way they do here. But it might also mean that nothing of this world applies. Um, and so it may be that your ticket to really connect to the unseen might not be in terms of what you perceive with your mind and your five senses, but more maybe with your yearning. Because even when we speak of the Prophet, peace be upon him, on the night journey, and, and in terms of many of our aqidas, many of our creeds, the Prophet, peace be upon him, physically went. Okay? It wasn't just like this imaginary journey, right? Uh, but then the way it's described when he meets Allah Ta'ala, right? You know, he comes to this tree, the, the Sidra tree, where the leaves are like the ears of elephants, and it encompasses the entire horizon. Right? And Jibreel is saying, I can't go any further. Right? And then the Prophet, peace be upon him, how did he see Allah? And then one, one way it's described is that he saw Allah with his heart. Which, what does that mean? Maybe it means he saw Allah by way of yearning. So think about that in terms of access to the unseen. That's one of the actual gifts of the heart. And let me phrase this in a different way. Most of your being is of this world, right? It's physical matter. But there is a part of you that is not of this world. Okay? Uh, you can say it is from paradise. You can say it is from Allah. But the key point here is that there is a part of you that is not of this world, okay? which means that even though you can satisfy your material self with dunya to some degree. There's a part of you that will never be satisfied in this world. There's a part of you that will always have longing, no matter how much your life from a dunya perspective is satisfied. And you may translate into it into a different sentiment like loneliness. You may translate it into a different sentiment like uh, sadness, depression. Right? Uh, but there is a part of you that will never, ever be satisfied with this world. Okay. Now, where is that? Maybe metaphorically, maybe spiritually, that's in your heart. Right? Um, even think about when we say that Allah is closer to you than your jugular. What is that effectively saying? If Allah is closer to you than your jugular, where is he? It's in your heart. 
Alatella says that the universe cannot encompass me, but the heart can. Okay. And so your heart is essentially your ticket to the unseen, your passageway to connect to the unseen. Okay. So now we're putting unit one and unit two together. <clears throat> now, having said that, think about your basic aqidah. So far and so on, right? What, what do we believe in? We believe in Allah. What else? Sorry? So the books, what else? <coughs> Angels, books, the messengers, the last day, uh, uh, the rising from the dead, and decree, good or bad, right? But what is that giving us? Okay. Because notice, jinns are not there. Why isn't jinns an article of faith? What is that giving us? It's giving us Allah, and how does Allah reveal himself? How does Allah reveal his will? Meaning, how does Allah give you a connection to the unseen? Okay. That's what that list is. How does Allah Ta'ala reveal himself? By the angels. How else does he reveal himself? By the books. Or, I mean, we use the language in English, we probably call it, how does he disclose himself? Uh, by the messengers, especially on the Day of Judgment and the rising leading to the Day of Judgment, as well as his decree. Okay. So what are we seeing here? This is how Allah discloses himself to us. And in another way, this is how Allah Ta'ala is giving us connections to the unseen. Okay. How he's taking often things from the unseen and putting them here. So the, the field of aqidah, and then by extension, kalam, or usuluddin, or what we might call theology, in one way, what is it basically saying? These are things in the, in the unseen that you take as concrete. So you take a book uh, of aqidah, like aqidah of Imam Tahawi or something. What is it basically saying? These, this paragraph of stuff, these are things that are part of the unseen that you take as real, as concrete as this table. That's basically what, what uh, aqidah is. Okay. Now, <clears throat> When we speak of, of Allah and when we speak of angels, we'll do Allah um, in a moment. Let's do angels. How many of you, when you picture angels, you picture these white things with wings? Does anyone not picture that? What do you picture, if you want to share? Just light. Interesting. Fascinating. Like a light bulb. Okay. Like, like, you mean like, like, like a Tinkerbell type thing? Or? No, just like so much that you can't see anything really. Fascinating. Will you raise your hand? Oh, fascinating. Okay. I mean, that's one of the narrations of the Prophet, peace be upon him, right? That sometimes Jibreel Islam would come in the form of this, or look like in this commanding Dihya. And, and so he was essentially in uh, taking a human form, or what we could perceive as a human form. Why do we have angels? Does Allah need angels? Obviously not. <laughs> then what's the function of angels? You know, if Allah can control everything, then. Uh, what seems to be the point of angels? Because they're not going to be judged, as, uh, unlike you and I. Any thoughts? A few things. One is to think of them at a different level of reality, a different level of the unseen. So when Allah Ta'ala revealed the Quran on that night in Ramadan, it was actually revealed at two levels. One level, uh, the entirety of the Qur'an was revealed to a level that we call uh, Bayt al-Ma'mur. You know, how would you call that? Like the, the level of Allah's order, his issues. Um, and then from there, Jibreel is taking it in pieces, in segments to the Prophet, peace be upon him. 
And so that night, the whole of the Quran is revealed to one particular level. And then, you know, those ayahs are then revealed to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Yeah. So at one level, why does Allah Ta'ala have angels? Because he does. That's how he structured reality. Okay. At another level, they are also a pathway for you and I to get closer to Allah. At one level, the imagination. Yeah. At another level, in terms of their functions. So Allah Ta'ala, according to some narrations, and I hope I don't uh, misnarrate them, uh, he has 70,000 angels. And when you have 70, 70,000, it essentially means many, the way you and I would say million. Okay? But it still could be factually 70,000. He has 70,000 angels that are all doing sajda to him. And then the next day, they're removed and they're replaced with 70,000 other angels. What sentiment do you get about Allah when you hear something like that? Just what comes to mind, instinctively what comes to mind? Majesty. Majesty, exactly. Right? So one pathway that the angels give us is a pathway to appreciate Allah Ta'ala. And so one way is His Majesty. Okay. Uh, uh, to get an idea of size, so there's this, this conversation uh, where someone is asking, how big is Allah? Okay. And okay, size doesn't really apply, but I want to try to imagine Allah's size. So, He's told, imagine a ring, like a ring you wear on your finger, and it's in the middle of the desert. Okay? The ring is the universe. The desert is a common angel. Okay? Now, imagine that angel is the ring, and the desert is one of the major angels, like Jibreel Okay? Now imagine that is the ring. You realize Islam is the ring. And the desert is the throne of Allah. Okay. You try even try even try to imagine that. Okay. Yeah. But the point being that another aspect, essentially what you will get by looking at all the angels, is you will have access to all the attributes of Allah Ta'ala. Okay. You have angels that what? That are recording everything you do, right? And according to some narrations, we're actually saying salam to them, or we're saying salam to everybody around us in, in our salah. Okay. Allah is all-knowing. He is witness. Okay. You have angels that when you make dua to Allah, they deliver to Allah Ta'ala. Right? That's one of the, the teachings about how you can recognize uh, Laylatul Qadr, because you're going to look at the sun, and you can't see any rays in the sun. And one of the interpretations of that is that it's because all of these angels are delivering the dua from the whole night and, and so it's kind of like obscuring our, our, our view of the sun. Allah knows best if that's, if that's true. And Allah Ta'ala is the one who answers prayers. Right. And so what the angels are at one level is a pathway for us to appreciate Allah, at the very least by appreciating each of his attributes. Every single attribute that you can think of of Allah, you'll find angels somewhere in our, in our, in our terrain of, of knowledge about the angels fulfilling those particular attributes. So even think about, you know, for example, creation or rahmah. Of course, the justice of Allah, right? It's all there. Some people then take it a step further to say that, and and you can take this for whatever whatever you'd like. If you were to look at this world from the perspective of the unseen, in this world, that which we define as the laws of physics, from the perspective of the unseen, it's the angels that are doing it all. So in this world, we'll speak of gravity and, the, and, the, and, and magnetic attraction and all those things. And then from the other side, 
It would be angels that are holding things together. That's a speculation more than a teaching of the prophet peace plan, which I think is fun to think about at the very, very, very least, right? But what are angels? They're essentially God's robots. Right? As you and I know, in our tradition, angels do not have the power of free will. Jinns have free will, meaning they have the ability to disobey Allah. This is what I mean by free will here. Humans have free will. They have the, abyss, the ability to disobey Allah. Angels do not. Do angels have identity? Yeah, totally. Do angels have a consciousness of the self, the way you have a consciousness of yourself right now? Seems like they might, right? Uh, do the angels have the ability to question Allah? Yeah, definitely. We have many narrations of them questioning. But at the end of the day, don't, they don't have the ability to say no to Allah. It's not in their capacity. So at another level, what else is an angel metaphorically? It is a high level of faith. Okay. So this is a lot of people trace to Imam al-Ghazali or people that Imam al-Ghazali is taken from. And his hierarchy is as follows. Uh, at the low level, you have the animal, okay. meaning a human who is essentially an animal. And what is that person? A person who's just driven by appetite. That that's, um, I mean, when they eat, they eat. When they need to copulate, they need to copulate. When they need to shout, they shout. When their anger takes over, they, that's, that's what they are. They're just driven by their appetite without an ability or even a consciousness of self-control, okay? unless something external is, is preventing them. Higher than that is the human, which is uh, uh, a person who has some degree of rationality, meaning some degree of ability to control that animal self, some degree of consciousness, or conscience, I should say, a sense of right and wrong. Uh, the person at the first level has almost no ability to disobey their appetite. This person at the human level has an ability. Uh, likewise, this person at this, this level has the ability to obey Allah, ability to disobey Allah. Higher than that is the angel, meaning it's a human who has reached the point that he or she is not able to disobey Allah. Meaning a person doesn't turn into an angel, obviously. But we're saying that as a spiritual state is the level a person gets to uh, where they literally cannot disobey Allah. And ask yourself, if you've had those times, maybe some of you are at that level right now, where, okay, it's time to make your prayer and you're, you're kind of relaxing, but you're like, okay, i got to get up and pray. Okay. Maybe you've had that, maybe you haven't had that. Chances are many of you have had that regarding fasting in Ramadan where <clears throat> it might be five minutes before iftar time. Nobody's around. You can totally break your fast. You're hungry, but you, you're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to let yourself break your fast. Okay. But the point is that a person at that level of angel is literally a person who does not have the ability to disobey Allah. This is not a person who lives in a forest. This is a person who would be interacting with us just like anyone else, but they don't have that ability. Their internal compulsion is one of yearning for, longing for, directed towards Allah. Like their arrow that we talked about is pointing towards Allah. Okay? A prophet is higher than that. You know, peace be upon them. So, <clears throat> so what are we saying here? That at one level, the unseen is a reality that we want to try to conceive of as a reality. At another level, uh, that which is the unseen that we need is the way through which Allah discloses himself to us. Why? Which we'll talk about in a second. At another level, those things that are in the unseen, especially like angels, are pathways for us to have an appreciation for Allah. Okay? 
I mean, they're God's robots that kind of run everything, but each type of angel is also manifesting in terms of our understanding of the angel's various uh, attributes of Allah Ta'ala, as well as the unseen, if we think of it as the default. Right now we think of this world as the default. If you start thinking of the unseen as the default, then something like the angel becomes the pinnacle of spirituality. That the angels that are in that side, uh, that's the pinnacle, where you reach a point where you can't disobey Allah. This was the failure of Iblis, right? Al-Rajim. Now, in our tradition, he's not a fallen angel. There's small, small narrations where he may have been, but the overwhelming majority of understanding is that he was not a fallen angel. He was a jinn. And there's also um, understandings about, like, you know, relationships between angels and jinns. Are you on the Islam AR list? Uh, I, I used to be. I, I got off that list. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. We had a discussion about that recently on that list. So, so... <clears throat> um, uh, I totally lost my, my, my train of thought where I was leading to. Uh, oh, Iblis. <coughs> uh, interesting, I forget. Yeah. So, what is part of the narration of Iblis? He was created beautiful. Yeah. Uh, he was given the gift of knowledge. He was given the gift of wisdom or judgment. And there's all kinds of narrations which might be outside of our sources that have been imported. But one of the interesting narrations is that there is not a spot on the earth where he did not do sajda to Allah. So literally, every spot here, he has done sajda to Allah. Okay? There's not a single spot on the earth where he did not do sajda. Okay? All voluntary. Uh, was his uh, sajda to Adam? Allah Ta'ala tells all the angels, do sajda before Adam. They all did, except for Iblis. He did not. He refused. He, he became one of the rejectors, or he refused, became arrogant, he's one of, and became Kanam uh, al he became one of the rejectors. Was that such that an obligation for him? It's kind of like split. Some say yes. Some say no. Some say yes because, because of his piety, he reached this level of angels. Uh, the other is that no, he was a jinn. It wasn't a command for him. But in both cases, he's refusing. Now think about that. If he's at the level of angels, if he's in the company of angels, he is still exerting his free will. Fail. Okay. But if he is a jinn, he didn't have to do it in the first place, yet he still refused. Almost as though he's saying, you could tell me to do sajda, I'm never going to do sajda. Even if you don't tell me, I'm never going to do sajda to him. So that was a voluntary sajda he refused to do, but in both cases it's refusal. And it's refusal before Allah, and so then he gets banished. So what is it that prevents me from getting closer to Allah? It's my exertion of my own will. It's my exertion of my own consciousness. And this is one of the lessons of Iblis, al-Rajim. In our tradition, it's not quite the fall of, of man. It's actually the fall of Iblis. Because if you compare his story, he is told, okay, you are banished, go to hell. He says what? Give me some time, you know, essentially until the day of judgment, granted. And then he says, because of you, Allah, uh, I am going to, you made this happen, I am going to take your, your true believers, your servants, and ambush them. I'm going to sit in a straight path and ambush them from in front, from behind, from left and right. right? And Allah also grants him the opportunity to try that, 
but he says, you're not going to be able to get my true believers. Now compare that with the story of Adam and Eve, peace be upon them. They're told, eat whatever you want, wherever you want in, in, in the garden, just don't go near this tree. Okay? The devil makes them forget. Now when did this happen? Maybe both of those stories happened at the same time. Maybe one happened before the other, or maybe time doesn't really exist, so who really knows? Okay. But the devil makes them slip, they forget, they go to the tree, and then they get exposed to their nakedness. And then what happens? They start feeling this remorse in their heart. Longing. They start feeling this yearning, this pain in their heart. And then Allah Ta'ala gives them a dua on how to address this pain. And so a side point, you know those books like Hisnul Muslim, Hisnul Haseen that says, you know, for this situation, do this dua. If you get a new shirt, do this dua. If you see an eclipse, do this dua. At one level, here's a dua that you do. But what else is that addressing? When you have the sentiment of wearing a new shirt, here's how you articulate that sentiment. When you have that sentiment of seeing an eclipse, which may be akin to seeing a, the supermoon, here's how you articulate it. See what we're saying? So dua is not just, you know, what do you say to Allah, but here's how you articulate these sentiments. Okay. So they had this sentiment of remorse, and it is a type of longing. And then Allah Ta'ala gives them a dua, Rabbana thalamna anfusana, so forth and so on. Right? Oh Allah, we have wronged ourselves, and if you don't forgive us, then we are among the losers. Right? So then they say this, and then what happens? They're forgiven. Okay. Then they're told to go to earth. Now, are they told to go to earth as a punishment? According to some narrations, some understandings, yes. According to other understandings, no. Punishment might not be the right term. A consequence of going to the tree. Okay. That they went to the tree, they started this whole series of events, now they have to go to earth. Okay. The other understanding is that they were supposed to go to earth all along. Because even the beginning of the ayah, at the beginning of that passage in Al-Baqarah says that Allah Ta'ala is telling the angels, I'm going to make a khalifa on the earth. And so then this episode with the tree is not looked at so much as this mistake, but a lesson on what you do when you, when you fall off your path. What do you do? You turn back to Allah. And that becomes their training to begin their job as Khalifa. Now you go down to earth. See what we're saying? But what's the difference between the story of Adam and Eve and the story of the devil? Every prayer they both made, every request they both made were answered. They said, forgive us, forgiven. He said, don't submit to hell now, send me later, granted. I'm going to mislead your servants, granted to try. What's the difference between their two stories? One fundamental difference. Iblis never asked for forgiveness. Right? Uh, if Iblis asked for forgiveness, perhaps everything could change. There's a story which may be apocryphal, meaning maybe it's not real, but it still makes the lesson. Musa alayhi salam tells Iblis, Rajim, <coughs> um, I can get you uh, Allah's forgiveness. Do you want Allah's forgiveness? He says, yeah, of course. He says, all you have to do is go to Adam's grave and do such that. He says, no, I can't do that. <laughs> right? Think about this. Does Iblis have knowledge of the unseen? To some degree, yeah. He's there. Okay. He is having conversation with Allah. Right? I mean, for us, sometimes the difficulty is just I have trouble conceiving of Allah. He's there. But what is it? It's his sense of self that leads to his fall. Okay. And it wasn't his arrogance, it was his refusal. Okay. And then, then he hid behind arrogance. Okay. Right? Abba, he refused. 
was Takbara, and then he, then he became arrogant, then he was like one of the, 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 the rejectors. And so this one thing inside each of us, which sometimes we call your ana, your I, yourself, is one of the most fundamental things that prevents you from any growth, prevents you from anything related to the unseen especially. It's what keeps you immersed in this world, keeps you immersed in yourself. Like remember we said that you know either your arrow is pointing towards Allah or it's pointing towards the world or it's pointing towards yourself. And we're saying basically that those two pointing towards the world, pointing towards yourself are essentially the same thing. But what is it? It's your consciousness of yourself. Because what is an angel? One who does not disobey Allah. Meaning an angel does not have that level of self-consciousness. Change it to that angel does not have that sense of value of self, except for Allah tell signs to them. Okay. So now what are we doing? We're basically putting these, these, these uh, uh, points together and then, you know, then we'll finish off. So we talked about angels, we talked about jinns. Now, <clears throat> the, the last big point, speaking about Allah Ta'ala. What we often do when we look at attributes of Allah Ta'ala, right? Whether we speak about the 99, there's some in the Quran that are not part of the 99, like Rabb, right? This role of Allah Ta'ala as Rabb. Um, we often speak of them in some sort of objective sense. He is the most merciful. He's Rahman. He is the eternally merciful. He's Rahim. He is Master, Malik, or he is King, Malik, right? Um, that is not incorrect, but I'm going to suggest to you that's a modern phenomenon. How? That in the era of science, so going back to at least the Enlightenment era where we talk about empirical philosophy, which then translates into you know, the, the beginning of the scientific revolution with Newton and such, the nature of our understanding, or our understanding of the nature of reality transformed to starting to look at the, as the world as though there is an objective reality. Okay. And one of the consequences of that is in the way we evaluate our faith, we often think, look at things as though there's an objective reality. Like when speaking of Allah Ta'ala, these are the attributes of Allah Ta'ala. I'm going to give you a suggestion. That's not wrong. I'm going to give you a different suggestion on how to do it. Look at it. Look at these as subjective attributes. Okay. Now, let's take a step back. <clears throat> the unseen, this world, your imagination. Your imagination is definitely subjective, right? It's in your head. But how you perceive of the world, how you interact with the world is, is entirely subjective. Okay. Free will predestination. As far as I can tell, I have free will. As far as I can tell, all of you are predetermined. I can't get into your head. As far as any of you think of yourself, you have free will, but you think of everybody else in the room, we're pre-written. Subjective reality. Okay. So when you think of Allah as Ar-Rahman, we are given a way through which to conceive of whom, who Allah is to me. Okay. Not what is Allah, who is Allah to me. He is the most in Rahman. So try to conceive of Allah that way. Okay. Or Adl, Al-Adl, he is the just. Okay. That sounds like an objective uh, attribute. He is the just to me. He is the just regarding what happens in my world, especially on my day of judgment. Okay. Now, how do we start to do that? Every one of us has some core attribute of Allah that we focus on in our hearts. We might all say it's mercy. But I'm saying, when you really actually look at your heart, what is the real attribute that you have? 
maybe you do really see Allah as this one who is showering mercy on you. But I'm going to suggest to you, for a lot of us, it's punisher. Okay. That if we really looked in our hearts, when we actually think of Allah, we think of punisher or absent. Okay. That he's, yeah, I believe in him, but in my heart, to be honest, I just don't feel like he's there. Right? Uh, or vengeful, which is kind of like punish, uh, punisher, meaning he hates me. Uh, think about what you feel in your heart. Because what you think of Allah in your heart will inform how you look at reality around you. So if I get into a car accident, let's say something horrendous happens to me, let's say car accident. If in my heart I truly see Allah as this one who is showering mercy on me, and I get into this car accident, then I'm going to think, wow, this was so horrible, I can't believe this happened. But it could have been so much worse. Right? That's Rahma. Rahma is giving you ease, making things better than they could have been. Okay. If I see Allah as punisher, which many people do, okay, and it's understandable because this is like what's in the air, I get in the car accident, I might feel like I deserve it. Okay. Or vengeful, that maybe I did something and now Allah Ta'ala is making this happen to me. Or absent. That now what am I going to do? You know, you're not even thinking too much about oh, Ya Allah, help me! Come on, come on, right? See what I'm saying? That what you truly think of Allah again in your heart will inform your reality, which is a subjective experience. And so the goal, which is a big goal, is to try to connect to Allah through all 99. <coughs> And the pathway to that is to, one pathway to that is to think about the angels. Another pathway to that is to think about all your experiences in this world, connecting the unseen with the seen, as ways to uh, appreciate whom Allah is. So what are we saying? This last point, that your experience in this world is not necessarily an objective reality. There's definitely an objective reality. That's the whole point of science. But your experience in this world is subjective. So we'll stop right there. Made a lot of really, really big points. One, we just talked about perception or, or using our imagination. Another, uh, getting into the academic side and then looking at the literal uh, existence of these things as well as the metaphorical benefit, pathways to Allah or highest levels of spirituality. Then we talked about uh, Iblis and, and the lack of seeking of forgiveness. And then this last part, how to connect to Allah Ta'ala, who is the ultimate in the unseen. And then putting it all together, what is your primary way of connection? Longing which is very difficult in this era because of things like instant gratification. Right? That anything I want, I can just get it or an illusion of it or some satisfaction immediately. Right? But work on cultivating your longing and a way to do that is think, think of things that you really want but you censor yourself from. And that will be your path to the unseen and ultimately to Allah Ta'ala. Any questions about anything? There's a lot of material. I just totally like made you zone out or just baffled you or gave you so much you have to process. <coughs> Nothing at all. You guys all have the look of my undergrads when I, when I ask uh, if you have any questions. So, no, let me write this down. Okay, otherwise we can stop here. All right. 
Okay, well, subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashhadu la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka na tubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashhadu la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka na tubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashhadu la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka na tubi ilayk. While I was making that dua, I just remember one fundamental key point. You control your subjective reality. Right? That was it built into what I was saying. What you perceive of Allah Ta'ala, you have control over. Right? And how you want to connect to Allah, you have control over. Your longing, you have control over. Okay. All right. Uh, if there's no questions, then I can.